Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavonston, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, but Dan, the annuals do not count. What about the event issues, Mark? I, I mean... Really? We're going to go to this now? I mean, like, are we, are, are we collecting Darkhold now? Or are we collecting um, <laughs> Fear Itself? I mean, come on. <laughs> but what about Secret Wars number eight? Do you have one of those? Oh, don't do this to me, Dan. Don't do this to me. <laughs> we'll get into it in the episode. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for joining us for the 10th and final episode of season five of The Amazing Spider Talk. The show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. Yeah, and just again, a reminder to everybody to go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com if you want to listen to all of our episodes of the show. We can only have about 300 of them on our podcast feed at any given time. And Mark, officially as of today, I'm sad to say it, Mark, Superior Spider Talk is no more on the Apple podcast feed. It's been erased. Our our plague of of branding is over no more superior spider talk if you want to get it you got to go to amazing talk.com it's the only time I've ever said if you want superior you've got to go to amazing we got through it dan i mean you know it, it's it's the end of an era but i'm not as sad as you are i don't think so we're we're, we're okay <laughs> okay great oh great so okay today this season, we have been talking of about the mid-80s in comics where they were changing, embracing new visual styles, aging up with their audience, and ditching formulas that had defined serialized superheroes for decades. In the previous episode, we discussed all the drama about the bungled Hobgoblin identity, the re-reveal of Roderick Kingsley. Mark, what's going on today? Well, uh, today we're going to be talking about the initial Marvel event comic, Dan. You know what that is? That is Secret Wars, because if people <laughs> like anything, it's secret and wars. And, and that, that's, a, that's a fact. I mean, we're going to get into why that's a fact. Uh, what, 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 what are we going to talk about with Secret Wars, Dan? Yeah, well, we're going to be getting into like why this is an important event for Spider-Man and kind of how it changed Marvel comics altogether. 
you know, if there's one kind of like era from the mid eighties thing that kind of like would change everything about Marvel. It was here in secret wars, maybe not in the content itself, but certainly the spectacle behind it all. So if you do want to follow us along through our journey through Marvel superheroes, secret wars, we'll be discussing issues numbers one through 12 of the mini series. And plus we're going to discuss content from Marvel age number 11 and amazing Spider-Man issues 251 and 252. And we're also going to talk a little bit about Jim Shooter's blog. So if you want to read some of the stuff we reference, you can go to jimshooter.com. There's an article called secrets of the secret wars that will give you a little bit more information on some of the things that we're talking about here today. But Mark, what is secret wars? (laughs) Well, you know, we can't say, Dan. It's a secret. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Please don't do that to me. Today. No, I won't do that to you. But, you know, in terms of like the the, the, the actual like logistics, what is Secret Wars? It's a 12 issue uh, miniseries that was published by Marvel from uh, May 1984 to April 1985. And as I uh, uh, referenced in the intro, it is it's the first major crossover in Marvel history. Jim Shooter, who was the editor-in-chief of Marvel at the time, scripted the whole thing. The great Mike Zeck did pencils. And Bob Layton, another a friend of the pod, he did the inks. Uh, and another friend of a pod, the legendary Tom DeFalco, edited this whole thing. I mean, this, this series, it had every single major Marvel character that you can think of, with a couple of exceptions, and we can maybe talk a little bit about that. Or they they got sucked into a cosmic portal by this this cosmic entity called the Beyonder, and it was basically just a big good versus evil battle royal with the X Men kind of straddling the fence of both. What what else do we want to say about what Secret Wars was, Dan? Well, you know, I think if anything that defines Secret Wars, it's kind of the marketing blitz behind it. You brought with you today two guests to come join us on the show. And that is your Spider-Man Secret Wars toys. Yeah, I have others, but I figured just, you know, for the purposes of this show, you know, we just needed to see Spidey. Can we see them okay, Dan? I, I can't. I, yeah, I, yeah, not... they look great. All they right. look great. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the old red and blues has seen better days, but my... my, my... My symbiote Spider-Man, or sorry, new suited Spider-Man. We, 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 you know, we hadn't officially called it a symbiote yet. He's looking pretty fine here. So, um, but yeah, we had action figures, we had play sets. I think there was like a Doom Mobile. I mean, we had everything. It was like you know a full action figure blitz with. Uh, I mean, you know, just as you would expect. And what, and 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 what was kind of going on at the time, Dan? That would necessitate why they would want this kind of big mega crossover with action figures and play sets and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, Kenner Toys, which is a company I believe that still exists today, uh, they got the DC toy line at this time. So they had access to all of the DC characters. And Mattel is was kind of their kind of rival. And they were producing He-Man toys at the time, but they kind of thought, you know, maybe this superhero thing is going to take off and they didn't want to just leave Kenner with the DC toy line. And so, you know, if someone's going to get DC, someone's got to grab up Marvel, you know, and so they wanted to hedge their bets and inked a deal with Marvel to produce these action figures. And, you know, part of making these action figures is they wanted to come up with this kind of mega event series to sell the toys. And so, you know, just like, you know, TV shows in the 90s, the the cartoon shows existed to sell you the toys. And in this case, the comic existed 
to sell you the toys. And boy, it seemed to work, Mark. How many how many of those do you actually own? The the toys? Or the, uh, I mean, oh, man, I, I have I have most of the first line, which was like the, you know, Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man, Doom, Kang. I think it was Daredevil in line one, which is weird because Daredevil doesn't show up in the book. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a bunch of toys in this that don't actually show up in the book, right? Isn't there like a Hobgoblin toy? Too? Yeah, there's a Hobgoblin. I mean, you know, they're clearly trying to get some of the big 80s toys at the time and, you know, uh, 80s uh, heroes or f- figures at the time. You know, I, I, I guess I guess what's better, what I better say is the ones I don't have. I don't have Falcon, which is really a shame because like he's got the full wings and stuff like that uh, i didn't get i never got hobgoblin i could never find hobgoblin even in like the after you know or at least at an affordable price at this point there might have been one or two others i ne- was never able to track down but you know i have a fair number of these kind of in, in i have some at my desk at work i have some some are still in my parents house and some i i have in my home with me here so it's kind of funny uh that i have secret wars kind of littered throughout my life right now <laughs> this the true secret wars was the war waged across your entire lifespan yes <laughs> where exactly you scattered them and throughout your life and i 100 percent I, I definitely had like the Castle Doom at one point. I mean that that got lost. Get to, out of town. That got lost to time and place. You know, like it, but I I one hundred percent had that freaking playset. I remember it. Did you have the Spider Man Castle? No, I just had I just had the Doom Castle. I remember that. And like I it always amused me. Like so, I guess like you know, kind of like with every action figure line, there's always one character that like you just you can find everywhere. Right. You know what I mean? So like and, <laughs> and, and apparently Kang was that for like the series one toys like Kang was like the most commonly found figure. You didn't really have to go digging for him. Just is funny because Kang gets like turfed in like the first issue of this book. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Anywho, spoilers for the upcoming MCU where Kang just gets done away <laughs> straight away. Well, I, I mean, you know, true. the thing is, like, Kang would Kang would do much better in other stories, uh, not Secret Wars. But like, yeah, I mean, and and we can talk a little bit about like shooters plots a bit in terms of because i have a feeling a lot of people were kind of upset with how shooter treated his their their toys meaning the characters that they wrote in the comics but we'll get to that in a second where where did this idea really begin you know like we we have this toy line where did the idea of secret wars come from so so marvel age number 11 which was marvel age was like kind of like marvel's in-house like news magazine that they put out Issue 11 was the first time that they pitched the idea of this series, but at that time it was called Cosmic Champions, which actually kind of makes sense because there was a miniseries about a year before this that was Contest of Champions, which was kind of a little similar. It was like, you know, we're all we're all just battling. It was another battle royal type book. Secret Wars was going to be a lot bigger and, and, and have a lot more moving parts and also be a lot longer. Cosmic Champions quickly became Secret Wars because after that issue was published, Mattel went to Jim Shooter and was like, actually, we we did some testing on on some kids. And what they really responded well to was the word secret and war. So you should call it Secret Wars. <laughs> um, and that's just like, I don't know, like for all you Simpsons fans out there, that just kind of reminds me of like the the uh, itchy and scratchy and poochy episode where like they're, they're the, the itchy and scratchy people are 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 
testing the kids and they're like, so you want like comedy, right? Yeah. But you want thought provoking uh, drama too. They're like, yeah. And it's like secrets. <laughs> wars, I don't know. <laughs> it, it makes me wonder what was going on in the minds of kids in the mid eighties, uh, that secret and war were there were the two top things. Maybe it was the cold war era. I, you know, I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So, I mean, and and as I keep alluding to, so so Jim Shooter, who is, you know, the editor in chief at time and he yeah, he didn't really have the bandwidth allegedly to write this thing, but he, he because of how big and like, you know, how Mattel kept pushing in, he basically deemed himself the the only one capable of writing this book and then the, the, the you know if you go to jim shooter's blog which is not quite as fascinating as christopher Priest's blog but is a close second i think <laughs> um in terms of like how how one person can kind of rewrite history but let, let me let me let me actually put this out there dan i mean jim shooter gets a really bad reputation in comic book circles you know i think there were some things some good that he did in his time in marvel but like when you kind of get Get, get a sense of how he treated the talent you can understand why basically everyone hated this guy's cuts and and like this is kind of case in point where like you know one of the one of his justifications was that that basically the the writers were all fighting they they used to fight uh behind closed doors when another when a writer from another series wanted to pull a character into their books and and the example he gave and he he didn't identify who who the artists or who the creators were, but anyone with half a brain realizes he's talking about John Byrne and Chris Claremont because John Byrne was doing Fantastic Four at the time and Chris Claremont was writing X-Men. Apparently, Claremont wanted to use Doom in a book and, you know, Doom was kind of property of Byrne through Fantastic Four. You know, after, I forget what exactly happens in X-Men, but apparently it pissed Byrne off because he felt that it was uncharacteristic for Doom. So in a follow-up Fantastic Four issue, he basically was like, yeah, Doom is like to read like, oh, that was not, that wasn't me. That was a robot because, you know, I would never be that stupid. And <laughs> and I guess like Claremont, like, you know, blew, a, blew a, a gasket to Shooter. So like Shooter, like to avoid that was like, I'm just going to write everything. And, you know, as a result, like there's a lot of weird characterization in this book uh, in terms of. It's a classic backdoor Doom excuse. Yeah, exactly. But like, I mean. You know, like, I mean, the, the Kang instance that I just joked about, I mean, you know, Kang, even before Secret Wars, I mean, he was part of some major, major story. I mean, Kang is considered one of the one of the big upper echelon villains of Mar- of the Marvel Universe. And he kind of just gets like dusted off in like the first or second issue of the series like he was an afterthought. You know, the series just has a lot of that because, you know, clearly Shooter, he's just trying to work in as much as he can. It's, it's very flimsy on plot. I mean, what, how would you even define what the plot is, Dan? Because, like, it, it just feels so flimsy. <laughs> I mean, to me, it feels like Marvel plot Mad Libs. You know, it, it's like like someone making up a story as they go along, like like a like a two year old telling you a story. You know, you're, you're like, where is this going? The MacGuffin of it. Like doesn't I don't think even really appear until like halfway through where it's all about, you know, like getting the beyonders powers or, you know, it just seems like a series of of trebuchet launches into the other party. It's like the heroes are doing an action. Now the villains are doing action. Now somebody wants to seduce the wasp. I mean, it's just kind of all over the place. There's an alien species on Battleworld that 
you know, Colossus is falling in love with. It's so it's so strange. It's it, it, it is quite strange. And then also on top of it, like I mentioned, Mattel kept pushing in. Like one of the things they wanted to do was they wanted uh, they felt that Dr. Doom's uh, costuming in the in the regular comics was too, quote unquote, medieval. So they wanted him to kind of have more modern, like robotic type armor. So like, you know, Doom and, you know, P.S. like Mike Zek is like. And Leighton and Bob Leighton are like superstars in this book. Like I'm thinking of the the cover to Secret Wars number ten, where like you know Doom is like tattered, and I mean it's just an awesome visual. I mean the, the all these covers are are freaking great in this in this series. I mean the art, you know, as bad as flimsy as the story is, the art is not lacking at all in this book. And it, part of their push too is just to like give us new visions for things that don't even show up in the comics, like these castles you were describing. Yes, the the, the Doctor Doom place set. Yeah, and the little vehicles that they rode. I mean, you know, it was really crazy and over the top. Say what you will, it was a huge success, as you would kind of expect a book to have everything in it. I mean, like, for a first of its kind, you know what I mean? Like, it, I don't think this was a major risk to think this would be successful, to have a, a, big, a big maxi series with, you know, every single cool character in it. But, you know, obviously hey, it's, it still works today. You know, we're still getting like not great event stories that sell like crazy because everybody's in it. Just name name the, the Marvel event that has followed and you can credit Secret Wars for being the influence there. I mean, even even Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, we literally reuse the title. But like, you know, like when he, when I think of things like AVX and Fear Itself and Secret Invasion, I mean, like th- these are all like they're, they're clear clones of Secret Wars. I mean, like they have more plot and story to them than Secret Wars. But like secret, they're, they're a clone of Secret Wars. And then even DC, I mean, and again, DC did something with a with far more plot and circle and and consequences, but Crisis on the Infinite Earths came literally the following year after Secret Wars. I mean, like the template was set for the for the major comic book crossover event story, and and you know, like even even if it was flimflam, it was highly influential. And part of that push was that you know you had all these changes that came to the comics before they happened in Secret Wars, so you would be reading your normal issue of uh, Fantastic Four and suddenly the thing is gone and replaced by She-Hulk. And the only way you could find out why was by reading Secret Wars. So, you know, I always thought that that was kind of the secret part of it was like you were being let in on some secret of what happened here that nobody else would know unless they went out and got it. So you felt like you were in some kind of club or something like that with, with other people that were reading it. So so what were some of the other elements of this story before we get into the specifics of Spider-Man's impact in this story? What what, what, what else was, was in Secret Wars that I haven't talked about yet, Dan? Well, I mean, it's funny, like the characters that are kind of, you know, included in this. I mean, so there's this, this heroes team and a villain team that are battling on this battle world planet. And, you know, you get the really weird moment that like Magneto shows up on the the heroes team and you're like what is this all about um but also like in terms of villains right and spider-man villains you got like dr octopus but then like of all of his villains they're like the lizard that's the one we're gonna include the lizard in this and like how many lizard stories have we actually gotten up until this point you know like not a ton you know he was not 
a hugely notable villain at, at this point, maybe even more of an ally. Although, yeah, that's how he shows up. Kurt Connors, you know, in human form. But I always thought that was funny. Like of all Spider-Man villains to include, the lizard is the one they go with. I mean, I guess Green Goblin was dead by this point. So it was like, we don't have that guy. So who's the next one in his lineup that's going to make it interesting? It's very true. I mean, like, you know, because of the Goblin at that point, like, you know, you, you, you have to figure like the the true A-listers that would kind of stand alongside like a Doctor Doom and a... Uh, well, Ultron is in this, although again, like similar to Kang, like Ultron is like like a shell of himself in terms of like yeah. his 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 menace in 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 in, this, in what he we would see in the regular comics. But like, yeah, I mean, Lizard Lizard was totally random. I mean, like you know, maybe I, I, I I'm trying to put myself in like the mid '80s at that time. I mean, like you, you we alluded to earlier, there's a Hobgoblin action figure. Hobgoblin would have made great sense, but you know. They, they didn't do it. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe there absolutely. were some political issues with it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to dive into that. Um, we put that chapter behind us, Mark. I think the real star of this book, though, like as many moments as Spider-Man gets in this book, it's really Dr. Doom's book. You know, by the end of it, he's kind of on his own quest to do his own thing apart from both the heroes and villains. I mean, he's a villain of everybody, including the Beyonder and you know, this is kind of, you know, I won't say this is the first time we've seen this, but like this is probably one of the most notable things where you get like Doom truly showcasing the size of his ego. You know, he wants to become God, uh, you know, by the end of this story and and is pretty successful enough to completely reshape his face. And, you know, notable, we see Doom's face for the first time here, completely healed. You know, an, an, an interesting uh, uh, story for Doom's uh, impact on it. As much as I would love to just talk about the specifics of Secret Wars overall, because it was, for better or worse, a very highly influential series on me as a kid. We we are a Spider-Man podcast, so we should talk a little bit about Spider-Man and his impact in this. And first of all, in terms of the big, big picture, I mean, he has some very significant moments in this book or moments that kind of relate to his universe are significant. But like in terms of like just the overall characterization, I mean, you know, outside of those moments, he's not really, he doesn't, he's not really factored into this book. Like you said, it's a doom book and where there's doom, there's Reed Richards. I mean, like that's kind of like, I feel like the main interplay it's, 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 you know, Reed versus doom, you know, like Spider-Man, like he's kind of, you know, he, he's kind of talking to he's kind of talking to himself, but he doesn't really have that internal monologue. I mean, he really just kind of feels like just another hero. Right. I mean, there's nothing really that outside of, like I said, those few select moments, which we'll get into that. There's not a lot that kind of sets him apart here from anyone else. Yeah, my read on it is like that he's kind of more defined by his like popularity than anything else here. You know, he gets to beat up on the X-Men because he's everybody's favorite character, not not because it's like an actual understanding of him. But, you know, he's got kind of like this youthful attitude that Shooter writes into him. So it's not that far displaced from what we know Spider-Man to be, but it's not his book. So he kind of is like left with just tons of expository, like talking to himself enough that you think he might be mentally ill <laughs> for someone that talks to himself that much. He only really takes his mask off for one panel at the very in the very final issue. So, you know, Peter Parker's presence in this is is pretty limited. 
you know, if you want to split the difference there. But like you said, it's mostly notable for Secret Wars issue number eight, which is the appearance of the black suit for the oh, very first man. time. Oh man! So what are we what are we talking about with Secret Wars number eight here? I mean, like that 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 I mean, wasn't that wasn't that about? impactful of a comic, right? I mean, you know, we only we only just found out that an original page from Secret Wars number eight that shows Spider-Man getting the symbiote set a, a an auction record. What was it last week or two weeks ago? Sold for $3.36 million. So, I mean, you know, again, say what you will about Secret Wars and the black suit and everything. I mean, like truly one of one. I mean, I would say of the last 40 years of comics, one of the most influential moments of comics. And it happened here and it involves your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. <laughs> I don't want to burst a bubble. I, I, it's interesting. I was like reading about the heritage auction sale of that page for 3.36 million. They've not announced who bought it. And so now there's like this whole like skepticism around, did they just buy it from themselves? Like someone who works at heritage in order to drum up publicity for heritage auctions. I don't own, have any information behind that, but it's made me skeptical a lot of these high sales things, especially because they go and impact the actual value of the comics. Like people that see 3.36 million, you can bet that that Secret Wars issue number eight is going to bump up in value that week because everybody's looking for the $3.36 million page that was printed in it. Yeah. And um, like, I mean, and it's not like anyone we know, like came across their second copy of that book recently. Right. Dan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I did. Um, one of my colleagues, like his father, they're cleaning out his attic. You know, one of those classic Spider-Man or not Spider-Man comic book nerd stories, which never happens to me. It seems to always happen to you, Mark. This guy said like, look, I'm, I'm finding all these comics. I know you're a comic book guy. Like, if I bring them to you, do you want them? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. But if I find anything really great, like, I'll let you know and we can work out a deal if, you know, if I end up settling it or something like that. And so he's been bringing me boxes and they've had some cool stuff in them. But this past one was the coolest because he dropped it off and I opened it up and right there on the top of the pile is a Secret Wars 8. And, you know, right underneath it was a Secret Wars 5 and 6. Secret Wars 8 was sitting right there. And it, let me tell you, Mark. Like, wait, hold on a minute. I got it right here. Oh, boy. Here we go. We're here flexing we here. We're the, flexing. The, this it's thing a great is copy. beautiful. I mean, it, it, it looks brand new. And everybody's going to be screaming that I don't have it in like a sleeve or something. Yeah. I, if I had to venture a guess, it's at least an eight. Wow. Like, if I had to venture a guess on it. So that was incredibly fortunate. But here's the deal, Mark. Now I got two, which means I can send one to you. Oh, my so goodness. Now you will have Secret Wars number eight. And yeah. I can tease you no longer. Uh, this, now, that is that is friendship developing right here in front of the masses. I mean, let it be said, I actually did at one point own a copy of Secret Wars eight. I owned almost the entire run of Secret Wars. Like, you know, I, I can't emphasize enough, Dan, like this book. This book is what more or less got me into Marvel and got me into superheroes. I had I, I had the figures, the action figures first. Like I got those as a, you know, I, I don't know if I begged for them or my parents just bought them for me because they thought I'd like them. I don't know. But I had all the figures and, you know, I would say, you know, by this point I had started buying Spider-Man stuff like like ASM a couple issues but like I don't know I I, I it was not long after I f bought my first issues of Spider-Man I was in a comic book store 
and they had a back issue bin and I saw, you know, I'm going through and I saw Secret Wars and I'm like, and, you know, again, like, first of all, I'm recognizing the action figure line, but also like, you know, as a seven or eight year old, it's like, oh, my God, it's everybody. You know what I mean? Like you see that first issue cover of all the here. And and so I grabbed all the as many of those issues I can find, including the Secret Wars eight. I had no concept of the value of those comics because, you know, I, I, and I don't think I, I paid much for them. I think they were like $2 a pop in the back issue bin or something <laughs> like that. I, and you were really responding to the secret and wars. Part yeah, of I was you were part I, of that child demographic. I was I was all in. So, like, I know I read I read the pulp out of them, which is kind of what I thought I happened to my. Amazing Spider-Man number 300 that was gone until that reappeared in my life a few years ago. But but unlike unlike that, I, I can verify, oh, man, maybe like seven or eight years ago, um, I was in I was at my parents house and I was actually try, I was in in the basement trying to find old copies of 90s books for that gimmick or good column I used to do for CBR. If you remember that back in the day, Dan. Yeah, of course. And and I I found like the old box of comics from my childhood there. And I and and in that was a copy of Secret Wars 8, but it was like the cover was torn off and I actually like markered oh. over parts of it. Like I like colored in it or something like that. Oh, you're one of those kids. I was one of those kids as a seven year old. So I left it just in the box because I was like, well, you know, this is this is even even as a curiosity, it was valueless. And then, you know, the PPS was uh, a couple of years later. My the my parents basement had a, a flood in it. So like everything got trashed in the basement so like that we are, whole we are running through comic book cliches here from i know to people's i know addicts giving I know. you gifts i know to markers i mean we're running through it all right i know now. i know so you know i never got a follow-up secret wars eight and you know i've been looking and like you know unfortunately this is one of those books that like it feels like every time i'm like in a position to get it, it like goes up another 50 bucks in value or something like that. And it's just like, oh, okay. You know, used to be able, you could get it, you can get it for like 30 bucks, then you can get it for 50 bucks, then you can get it for 80 bucks. Now I think like I see it like for like 150 or 200. I'm like, oh, screw this. <laughs> and here's, here's the thing. It's not even the first time that the black suit was ever seen. Like that was issue 252. I mean, you can argue, right? Like, like canonically, this is the first appearance of the black suit and which would ultimately be venom. Yeah. So, so, you know, on that note, like how did this end up happening? Like how did this black suit thing come about? Because it's a favorite costume of so many people. It's super iconic, you know, but so is the red and blue and that had never changed up to this point. And this, this is a story that kind of runs independent of secret wars. They just decided to kind of combine it at the end there in the early eighties. I think it was like 82 or 83. They had a contest to like design a new costume for Spider-Man. And there was a, 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 a fan submission, Randy Schuler, who submitted this idea of, of a black costume. Jim Shooter paid him $220, which I think they said equates to about $500 in today's money. 
to this fan. And, and part of the guy's pitch was that it was going to be like this black stealth suit that was made from the same um, unstable molecules that the Fantastic Four's costumes um, were made out of. But like, you know, like it was stealth, but like, you know, also like it was going to enhance his abilities. And, you know, when uh, one of our first interviews, which now, as you mentioned, you cannot find in our feed anymore, was with Tom DeFalco at, at uh, Terrificon in Connecticut for Superior Spider Talk. And DeFalco was talking a little bit about it, like him and Shooter were kind of kicking this idea around because they liked the idea of the black suit. But they were like, how the hell do we like illustrate like that, you know, a suit that like makes him jump 30 percent higher or, uh, you know, enhances his strength <laughs> by 37 percent or whatever it is. They they wanted to, you know, work this into comic book form, but like they they, they were just kind of struggling with the mechanics. So. What they basically it is, you know, it is worth noting that like a few years ago there was the Spider-Man self-improvement issue that actually printed Randy's letter and the comic that he wrote, you know, to about getting that suit. So it was it's kind of like an else world story or a like a what if Randy's idea actually came into fruition because he had a whole separate idea that Shooter paid him for and it was adapted into this. So uh, you know. If you if you do want to ever see that idea, it's in uh, Spider-Man Self-Improvement, which also has an awesome story from Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends in it. But that's a whole other separate thing. Anyway, what they what they did eventually decide was that they, they obviously wanted to use Secret Wars as the opportunity to introduce this costume. So as you just alluded to, Dan, the first appearance of the black costume is technically Amazing Spider-Man number 252, which came out the same uh, month as Secret Wars number one. Of course, when you go to Secret Wars number one, Spider-Man is in the red and blues, but like that's the whole that was the hook. It was like, go read Secret Wars to find out why in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man, he's all of a sudden in this new costume. But like to make it, you know, what was the hook of the costume? Like, you know, not the, not that it made him jump 30 percent higher or whatever. But as we see in ASM 252, the hook was the costume was alive. And this was um, I've heard a couple of interviews with Roger Stern. He claims credit for this, that he was the one who pitched the idea of, and, and he plots ASM 252, excuse me. It is scripted by Tom DeFalco, but Stern uh, writes the plot for it. Yeah, I mean, like you can see like the, the costume is kind of, you know, like like swarming on Peter at one point and it's kind of weird. So, you know, and then like from there, they kind of kept going with this concept like DeFalco and others that, you know, not only is it alive but it's it's you know it's maliciously alive <laughs> and, and and trying to bond to peter so there's there's your hook and they wanted to actually make it an evil entity because even though it looks great and it's really cool they wanted to make sure like oh we can get him out of this and back into the red and blues and this would be a short-lived affair but of course was it a short-lived affair dan <laughs> no not at all i mean he, he ditched it pretty quickly for the fantastic four but you know, the rest of it, you know, is history. I don't need to restate the the cultural presence of Venom or the or the black suit here, you know, especially in the hearts of Spider-Man fans. Just to note, you know, the idea that the suit made Peter aggressive or angry is not really something that was kind of a part of this more than it was like more like invasion of the body snatchers kind of thing. Uh, but we'll get into that in our next season in more detail. You know, again, say what you will about that auction. And that was a point I didn't think about, Dan. So, you know, but you're, you're I mean, you know, that that is interesting to think where are the numbers being cooked a bit, but all the same. I mean, this is I, I don't 
I don't think it's hyperbolic to call this a watershed moment for for comics, not just Spider-Man comics, but comics, period. I mean, you know, seeing this black suit. I mean, this black suit has defined so much, has made uh, Marvel and Sony and everyone else so much money <laughs> between, you know, you know, the comics and Venom and, and merchandising and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, like, you know, if, if Secret Wars has one point of legacy that will outlive it forever and ever, it's going to be that suit. And it's a Spider-Man point. And, you know, like once again, Spider-Man, Spider-Man runs the world, right? <laughs> I mean, Hey Mark, black is slimming. So uh, that's, that's a million dollar idea right there. You know, if you're a fan of the black suit and you're a fan of Spider-Man, Mark, where might they want to go to join in on the conversation? Yeah, well, hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, I hang out in the Slack every day. Uh, This week, we've had a ton of new people join. We are over 300 people in the Slack, uh, you know, just hyped up about this new Wells Romita Jr. run. That's really exciting. And uh, if you want to join this awesome Spider-Man community, you can follow the link in our description to say hi to everybody and start talking Spider-Man. You just click on that link and it gets you right in to the Slack and getting an account. So come join us and uh, let you know, let us know what you thought of this episode uh, when you do join us. We'd love to see you there. Awesome, Dan. Well, why don't we get into a couple of more Spider-Man relevant stuff from Secret Wars. I mean, you you had talked about this closer to the beginning of the episode, which was Spider-Man versus the X-Men. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and in terms of like, like way out there characterization, I mean, you know, like, hey, as a Spider-Man fan, I loved it because it was like, yeah, what? look at him go. But it's basically in Secret Wars number three, Spider-Man single-handedly defeats the entire team of X-Men. And you're just kind of like, Wait, what just happened here? <laughs> they try to add some like like qualifiers to it so that it's not like a complete like wiping of the floor of the X-Men, but like in terms of Spider-Man's power set, I think this is like one of the more outrageous examples of of Spider-Man and and his powers. It, it it's not just the Sinister 6, it's Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, Cyclops, Rogue is Jean Grey in this too? I'm trying no, to No, I think Colossus. she's gone at that point. Yeah. I think Xavier sits the whole thing out for some reason, but right. uh, but he brainwashes him afterwards so that like, he forgets that it happens or something like, you know, you will not yeah, hold on to this victory, Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um that's absolutely insane. And I've seen a lot like some people like whenever you get into like a dumb conversation about like who's more powerful in the Marvel universe, like Hulk or Thing, and I've seen people like bandy this about as like, well, Spider-Man's more powerful than all the X-Men. And it's like, no, no, like, there's just no way. I mean, like, you know, as much as much disdain as like Dan Slott has for Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends' story about Spider-Man and Fire Lord. I mean, come on. This is got to this is like another level higher, in my opinion, in terms yeah, of absurdity. No and this is coming from a diehard fan. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. You know, th- this series also saw the kind of strange debut of a new character in it. Do you want to tell us about her? You know, we had talked about last season uh, about Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman. Well, uh, Secret Wars issue six, well, it was technically a cameo and you get the first full appearance in, in issue seven. 
It was the debut of Julia Carpenter, who was the second Spider-Woman. What I always just found to be hilarious about the new Spider-Woman was in Secret Wars continuity, the this alien symbiote costume had not been introduced yet. She's like fully decked out in the female version of it. <laughs> so, so it's like, all right. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're going for it, guys. I mean, you know, obviously Spider-Man's in, in, in ASM, but. And, and Julia, I think the the no prize for that is like that Spider-Man saw her costume and is like, that's a cool costume. I want something like that. And then that's the what the thing that it goes to look like. You know, now it makes less sense in in, you know, looking back at it when all the symbiotes look like this. Like somehow she was upon she had like discovered the Clintar early. Well, we don't we don't learn her origins uh, in Secret Wars, but, um, you know, she Julia does get her own series soon after this. And we we learn that she basically has the same power set as Spider-Man. Um, she's inject, you know, like she's scientifically, you know, experimented on and she's injected with secret toxins and venoms, which give her these powers. Initially, this version of Spider-Woman would show up a lot in West Coast Avengers and on Forceworks. She would lose her powers and become Arachne and then show up again in Civil War, where she's kind of like a double agent working with like the registration heroes, but then betraying them. She becomes a semi-regular supporting character in Spider-Man books, like around the the brand new day era, Dan. I mean, what are some of the stories that that Spider-Man fans might recognize her from? Yeah, well, most notably is Grim Hunt, where, you know, the original Madam Web is is killed off and we find out that Madam Web is kind of like a constant entity in the web of life and death. And so that personality and maybe not personality, but that power set goes to Julie Carpenter. And there you go. You've got the new Madam Web in large part of Dan Slott's run where she would just randomly show up to to spoil upcoming issues in a really annoying fashion. But yeah, she became like a big character and she shows up still every now and again. We saw her during like last remains in the Nick Spencer run shortly ago. So she she's a Spider-Man character as much as we maybe don't love that. Yeah. I mean, and obviously it's a it's a far cry at this point from being the Spider-Woman. I mean, like, but still, I mean, like she's around and, you know, you can you can you can blame Secret Wars <laughs> or, or, or or credit it. However you feel about Julia Carpenter. <laughs> fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So, Mark, you know, you've been talking about how this book like really influenced you as as a kid to get into Marvel Comics and stuff. You know, what was it about this? You know, was it the flashy covers? Was it you know, whether did you immediately gravitate to Spider-Man, this minor figure in this story? Like, what was it about Secret Wars? Well, that's the thing, though. I mean, like you could you could say he's a minor figure, but, you know, talk about the action figures. I mean. He had two action figures. You know what I mean? Like he had. A, I mean, like what was cooler than that? But and and you know, like the Doc Ock uh, character who I knew like was affiliated with Spider Man. He had like you know the big long tentacles and the suction cups. <laughs> so I mean, like it, it was it was cool stuff. I mean, like for me, I, I I like you know what they said earlier about like you know kind of like you know, testing this with kids and stuff like that. I mean, like they might as well have tested it on me because it, for me, it was like, oh my God, it's just all these characters 
at once. And I, I mean, like, I don't know what exactly it what exactly the it, where I was in the zeitgeist and when I was five or six years old. But like the fact of the matter was I recognized all these characters. They were they were much more attractive to me than the DC line because like they felt more more colorful and, and and eclectic in terms of the kinds of characters they were. I mean, like, you know, you had someone like Doom who like really felt like intimidating and 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 scary but then like spider-man and and you know with two costumes i mean what's better than that i mean that's i i, I hate <laughs> to be so so juvenile about it but really that's that's all it was to it is like as a kid this was really cool stuff like it was cool to see all this happening in one place like you know you had all these toys and then you had all these comics you had these comics with all these characters on it and it just seemed like the really coolest thing to me as as a as a kid of that age and i had to have it like there was this definite like you know a la pokemon like this gotta catch them all kind of mentality the secret wars you had to get all the figures you had to get all the issues you had to you know figure out what was happening here there and everywhere and and it, <laughs> it, it got me hook line and sinker yeah i don't have any of that nostalgia for this series, mostly because it came out before I was born and, you know, I just did not get hit by any of the marketing or, or merchandise. Like for me, the one that hit me as a kid was Maximum Carnage, which I think also kind of went by the same ethos, which is like pack in as many characters as possible. And I'm sure it owes a great depth to the existence of Secret Wars. Now, I don't know if that's the legacy that Secret Wars wants but uh, but but it's a legacy that it has, you know. So for me, reading this, you know, uh, I'll admit for the first time for the show all the way through, I I had read, you know, all the main issues that like three and eight that really involve Spider Man in a significant way. But I had never really invested myself completely into Secret Wars because it's like I knew most of the plot to points of it, but. You know, it was fun to read, but it is all over the place. I think it's much more of an event than it is like a story, so to speak. There are good things in it. There's also a lot of really dated sexism surrounding the Wasp and this character Zaji. You know, I, I can definitely sense the appeal of it. I mean, it definitely doesn't bore you. There is all kinds of crazy ideas like the whole team gets buried under a mountain. I mean, they weren't doing subtle is not how this book works. Yeah. And PPS, you know, the whole kind of holding up the mountain. I mean, that was that was riffed on in, in Endgame. You know what I mean? Like like we, 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 we still are seeing secret wars and major pop culture things with Marvel to this day, which I think it's worth saying. And and no, and you're 100 percent right. I mean, the characterization of some people is is downright offensive i think in some cases but like you know i, I like i remember like there were scenes like with road i think roadie is like checking out Ju you know spider woman and it's like he's like he's like leering at her it's kind of like oh okay <laughs> this doesn't feel right um but whatever it was it was just a big flashpoint for for i think people of a certain age or in a certain like bracket. And then in terms of its impact on the comics, I mean, in addition to the black suit, I mean, you know, there were some other things that were, were noteworthy that came from it. We had in over the fantastic four, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the series, uh, Ben Grimm, he's like changing back and forth between the thing and, and his human Ben form. So he decides to stay on battle world. And then she Hulk joins the fantastic four. And, and, you know, like, 
you know, say, say, you know, I, I know I gave my story earlier about John Byrne and Claremont and all that. And, you know, say what you will about Byrne, the person, but Byrne, the creator, always, you know, especially in that era, had great comics and his She-Hulk Fantastic Four was fantastic. And then over in X-Men world, you, you there was the breakup of Colossus and Kitty Pride. Because they would of, never do this again. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know they're the ross and rachel of x-men so you know like <laughs> it's it was a big deal at the time anyway it was it, it, it's it, so there were things that happened in other books that were impacted due to secret wars so whatever i i i don't disagree with you one bit dan but like nostalgia is a hell of a drug and i am i am all on the, the nostalgic bandwagon and is that archie <laughs> Yes, my cat keeps wanting to join me today. Uh, <laughs> Good job. I do think that there you can draw like a straight line from this comic series to like everything that people love about the MCU right now. You know, like the the big battle scenes, whether it be Civil War's airplane hangar or, you know, the end of Endgame or Infinity War. Like that stuff is all born out of this kernel of an idea that would be eternally developed, you know, developed and built upon event after event after event in the Marvel comics pantheon. So a, a, a notable series for Spider-Man, like the, the genesis of one of his greatest villains and now a character in its own and a big moment for the character that brought it into the, you know, the Tom DeFalco, Roger Stern era and gave us the most iconic, Spider-Man's costume other than the red and blue, I dare say. And so I think totally worth talking about here on Amazing Spider Talk and a big part of your uh, cultural background. And there there we go. We got action figures joining us. Just a, just a good time over here. You know, if you guys enjoyed this episode, we'd love you guys to help spread the word about Amazing Spider Talk. We put a lot of time and effort into creating these shows for you guys. So you recommend the show to a friend. And if you're able to, why not become a member of our Patreon? Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. And we are constantly making exclusive content for our members. This week, Patreon members will hear Dan and my review Amazing Spider-Man number 86. Plus, if you haven't heard it already, we had a full discussion about our thoughts on the recently announced team of Zeb Wells and John Romita Jr. when Amazing Spider-Man gets its new number one this April, and it will only be on Patreon. Yeah, so why not take $3.99, that's the price of a new comic, and put it towards a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. And if you listen to this and you're like, I'm going to go buy a Marvel Superhero Secret Wars number eight, that's going to run you like what, Mark? Like 150 bucks if you're lucky? <laughs> that's like what? That's like five years of supporting our show. So like, <laughs> w w why not come help us out? Yeah, and if you do, you can hear all of our new Patreon-exclusive review podcasts on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including that new number one that's coming out soon, that new run with John Romita Jr. and Zeb Wells, the very same week that those issues are released to the public, instead of waiting for it to eventually arrive in our public podcasting feed about three months later. So, you know, get on that Patreon bandwagon, everybody. Everybody's doing it, and they're having a great time over there. Oh, yeah. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists, 
commission exclusively for our members. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. And man, Nick blew it out of the water. I was going to say out of the park. He would hit it out of the park. He can blow it out of the water on this Secret Wars one that we did for this episode. It is stunning. He's got every villain, every hero, Spider-Man caught in the middle, having fight on Battle World. I mean, this guy is is amazing and doing awesome artwork for our patrons. So we hope you sign up so you can check out his stuff. But we do know it's a hard time for everybody. COVID, political strife, financial inflation. It's hard for us too, so we do appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you do have the means, please join our Patreon and support our continued existence of the show. It helps us out a lot and keeps us going. So there's a link to that in the description. And of course, a thank you again to all the members who already make this show possible. Yeah, but it's that time. It's time for all good things to come to an end, Dan. So we want to say thank you to you the listeners, and our viewers for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, uh, before we get to what we're doing next on the show, we do want to say a thank you to all the people that help us make the show. This is the end of season five, and we couldn't have done it without our editor, Rick Coast. Also, our artists, Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, Ray Sumzer, and Nick Cagnetti, who create all of our artwork And of course, our theme songs by Ryland Bojack and Spider-Madge. And our introduction animation, if you watched us on YouTube, it came from Josh Sutton from the YouTube show Panels to Pixels. Without their support, this show would not happen or at least be as stylish and fun as it is. Just two of us talking to each other. Some music, some animation, it makes everything a lot better. So this was a lot of fun, Dan. I mean, you know, anytime you get to talk about my childhood comics, I I, I can't complain. But what are we going to be talking about on our next episode? Yeah, well, Mark, like I said, it's the end of the season. So, like, this is where we go on our kind of brief hiatus. And, you know, of course, we would then kind of flow directly into, I think, what a lot of people are really excited about, as excited as they were about Roger Stern, we're going to be talking about our good friends, Ron Friends and Tom DeFalco's run on the title coming up next and all the kind of media properties around that. I mean, this is where we're seeing Spider-Man really, you know, post-Secret Wars kind of, you know, hitting the mainstream and having more products and TV shows and you name it. This was a really hot time for the character, not to mention Ron Friends and Tom DeFalco are good friends of ours. So I imagine we're going to have several appearances from them next season, except Mark, here's the big news. And I know you already know this <laughs> is that my wife is recently pregnant and I am having a baby boy. Congratulations. So Dan. Huzzah. I, I am, I am going to be a father who knows what that is going to do to the amazing spider talk show in regards to our next season. We, we are going to play this one by ear and see how we're doing, whether we squeeze it out before my wife gives birth. You know, it will will be up in the air. Uh, we really don't know. We're very excited about the new Gavazdan in the world. And no, I'm not naming him Peter or Parker. 
It's just, it's not going to happen, Mark. What what Spider-Man character should we name him after? I mean, how about Ned? Or <laughs> we, could, we could name him Eugene and, and call him Flash. Oh, my goodness. No, don't do that to him. That's uh... <laughs> we could call him Fritz von Meyer. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I, I am currently doing this show out of a small two bedroom apartment in L.A. And having a newborn around is going to make that really complicated. I'm going to try to figure it out whether that means I have to go and rent a studio to do this recording with Mark or whether we have to get some, you know, temporary substitutes to come and join us on the show. We're we're going to figure it out. The show is not going anywhere, but it might mean season six is either like delayed or gotten through very quickly before (laughs) the summer hits. We will let you know, but it's exciting either uh, either way. Yeah, we're we're very excited about it. Someone in the chat is suggesting Buford Hollis. Now, 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 this person knows me. <laughs> Buford Hollis. What do you think? Can I get away with naming my kid after Razorback? Oh my goodness, Dan! Don't do it! Don't do it! Come on, let's let's be completely independent <laughs> of comics. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Well, it's very exciting, and you know, it's going to be on on Mark's back, I think, to really kind of keep things going for a little bit. So. Uh, help us out and and cheer us on. It's going to be a fun time to uh, to be a part of Amazing Spider Talk. What 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 comes next after that? <laughs> well, I mean, it's how we say goodbye, Mark. I mean, look, season five is over, but you know that doesn't mean anything has to change for us. You know, we our motto stays consistent no matter what season it is. So, uh, Mark, until we single handedly beat up every other Spider Man podcaster without breaking a sweat. What's our motto? Oh, I like that one. With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't 